Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. A lot of discussion this morning about um, the government setting up this new COVID inquiry for the middle of the year. And the purpose, it's not to necessarily find fault with anyone or to praise anybody either. It's about focusing on getting the facts of how we handled the COVID crisis and to plan for future responses to public health emergencies. But I want to chat to people this afternoon. How do you think we did? Like when you look back, you know, this time last year, the COVID measures were were lifted. We were back into or certainly getting back into a level, level of normality. When you look back now with hindsight, do you think we handled it properly or what lessons could be learned? Neve is with us on the line today in Waterford. Neve, I believe you are a nurse. How do you think we handled it? Hi, Andrea. Yes, I, I think overall it was handled very well. Like we didn't have a manual for this. Um, it was thrust upon us as it was everybody very quickly and I actually think we need to take a step back and actually you know be a little bit grateful for how well it was handled I, I think at, at all levels in the healthcare system the Department of Health the, the government and um, retail workers like everybody put their shoulder to the wheel and I, I think we handled it as best we could like we, I think we need to be kind of you know maybe say say a thank you instead of Instead of looking for for faults in the in the in, in the system as we tend to do, but um, my only my only criticism maybe would be the when when things did reopen, the the COVID payment was so was so generous really that sometimes it discouraged people from going back to work um, because they, they were they were getting so much money from the COVID payment, and because of that, then some of the um, some of the lower paid jobs it was very hard to fill them so that would be my only complaint and perhaps that maybe they kept the schools closed a little bit too long mm. but then um, I mean it's easy to look back in hindsight and yeah. say that but I do feel that the schools could have could have possibly gone back a little yeah. bit sooner but apart from that I feel it was handled as as well as it could have been I mean I, I know for, for pe- people in the healthcare system worked extremely hard as did retail workers supermarket workers they worked so hard and really just to acknowledge that I suppose would be no harm. Yeah and like you were obviously working as a nurse Neve. you were right in in the thick of it. Do you think from the health perspective we could have done things differently? Um, like I, I had my my mum was in a nursing home at the time they, they handled it again as well as they could they, 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 they did their very best I actually think it was handled well I really do mm. I think I, okay. I guess, yeah I, I do I think to be fair it was handled very well. I mean, nothing is perfect, but mm. you know, everybody is human at the end of the day, and everybody was fighting for their own safety and all of that. But I, I think all things considered, the, the, the country handled the COVID crisis very well, in my opinion. Uh, Karen is with us as well. Karen, would, would you agree with Neve's assessment? Um, no. Why? My own, my own mother is in a nursing home, and I've seen the mental decline. My own mother looking at her through a window. She suffers from dementia. And um, no, I don't think it was handled and <clears throat> who made the decisions for fa- families to be locked out. You know, um, like there was agency staff going into nursing homes and they were mixing in other nursing homes also where families were staying at home. We possibly would have been more cautious about entering. We would have done the same thing, gowns down, mask on, obviously testing before we entered. But like I've seen the decline in weight and the mental decline of my own mother when she was locked away from her family. 
So this was at the during the period, yeah. Karen, when yeah. you obviously you, you couldn't go in. So no. So what were and you doing was, at that time then? Like, how did you communicate uh, with her? Well, she didn't understand the, the video calls either. She couldn't understand why I, my picture was in. She associated it as a picture, like, you know. And when I'd go to the window, she'd become quite distressed and upset. So some of the, the, the window visits were cut short because they'd have to take her away because she wanted me to come into her. I'd looked after my mother. She's five years now um, suffering with dementia. And she's been in a care home for over four and a half years now. And um, I've been her, her main point you know, for even caring for her, with help, with feeding her, everything. She always called for me. And that he had a huge impact on her, as as, as so other residents. That's mm-hmm. why care champions are pushing for care partner, for government to legislate care partners. So this should never happen again. Uh, one you know. of the one of the elements, I suppose, of this you know inquiry um, that I think they still have to decide on is whether or not yeah. the sessions will be held in in public or private. And there seems to be today, from what I've been reading, um, some desire to have at least some element of a public, you know, yeah. facing part to this. What, what's your? Do you have a view on that? Or? Uh, uh, Andrea, I think we need a human rights led public inquiry into what happens. And um, we need reform and change as well, where care partner and um, safeguarding is legislated by government. That um, there was lots of calls to HICWIS during lockdown for concerns in nursing homes. You know, um, we need that needs a human rights full public inquiry needs to happen in this country. Do That's you my okay? Do, yeah. do, do you think Neve it should be a there should be a public facing element to it? Well, the way, I, the way I look at that is, at the time, they did the best with the information they had at the time. They were restricting visitors for the health of the residents. They weren't doing it for the fun of it. You know, like, what's the alternative? If they let people in and people got COVID, then they would have probably been in big trouble for that. Like, they were damned if they did and damned if they didn't. I don't think it's fair to, like, they had to restrict visiting. I, I understand with dementia, of course it's difficult, but, but what's the alternative? If, if they got, if they let visitors in, even one or two, and they got COVID, then they would have been blamed for that. So, like, how... I think they were in a no-win situation. And, like, the staff had to go in. There were staff shortages, so they had to rely on agency staff. Like, they don't... There aren't enough nursing care and carers in the country. We know that. So they had to rely on nursing agencies. And if they didn't go between nursing homes, basically, people wouldn't have been fed or been toileted. Like, they, they, these are these are things that... Decisions that they took out of an absolute the need, they had to do it because otherwise they didn't have enough staff and and they were in, introducing the risk of infection. So, as I said, they weren't restricting visitors for for for, for the fun of it. It's oh, no, like, it know, because it's, they had they had to do it. It's, know, it's, so. it's very difficult and it, and it's it's such a you know when chatting to Karen and I know from talking to many others in Karen's position as well over the last two years, just the the emotional impact of this on people it's still you know still still with many many people today and still struggling to you know and finding it very very difficult to get over um, the impact of some of that particularly in cases where there was you know, somebody had passed away and you know I know from chatting to friends who couldn't have people attend you know parents funerals and the impact of that still is still very very much yeah. felt by, and, by, and by so children many and children in schools they missed yeah. out like lots of people missed out but when, when these things happen like of course there's going to be casualties and people that you know that that suffer, but but it's the lesser of two evils. It's either that, or we ended up with a situation like in Italy where they were queuing for ICU beds, and they had to decide, well, you don't get a bed because you're too old. Like we had, they had to make tough decisions 
it wasn't an easy situation. You know, I think we have to have a little bit of re- reality about that. Kira's with us as well. Let me let me bring Kira into into the discussion. Uh, Neve and Karen, stay with us. Um, eighteen hundred four five three one zero six is the number if you want to join us here in the show. Kira, but you worked in ICU, is that right? Yeah, so I'm a I'm a critical care nurse. So I worked on the in the critical care units throughout the whole of the pandemic. Did we get it right? Or handle um, it? I think just I suppose I want to acknowledge really your your previous speaker there was a Karen. Karen, yeah, um, Karen's done with know, us as well, yeah. Really just to talk about, I suppose, the difficulty and the hardship that families must have faced during the COVID pandemic. And from an ICU nurse perspective, we definitely saw that firsthand here. It was one of the most difficult um, and distressing things for the staff really was that we couldn't allow the visitors to come in to see their relatives. And it must have been really, really difficult. Um, I guess at the time we were looking at the projected numbers that were coming from NASA. We were looking at the, you know, the media reports from Italy. And we were really, really scared. We were terrified about what was to come. We knew we probably didn't have the critical care capacity to deal with the numbers that were coming through. Um, and I think the lockdowns really at least helped. We think it really helped kind of maybe stem the flow of patients coming into the critical care areas. And saying that, though, you know, we still struggled day in, day out. Um, you know, our aim and our goal is always to deliver really safe, high-quality care to our patients. And I suppose we had to... You know, we wanted to continue to do that, but we were very, very cognizant of the restraints on our services. And we went over and beyond our capacity, and most intensive care units in the country would have done that. Um, And I suppose, you know, at the cost of everything else, so the scheduled care um, was was cancelled, you know, big um, oncology surgeries, cancer surgeries were cancelled. People didn't get access to the care that they needed, maybe because of what was happening. And I suppose looking back on things, you know, in hindsight, this is a time really where we need to reflect and we need to go back over what was done, what we did well, what worked well. um, And, you know, as Neve said, to... to, um, you know, to really highlight that staff did really go over and beyond what was expected of them. Everybody really pulled together. You um, would wonder though, wouldn't you? About, you? You would wonder about the the uh, postponing and curtailing of, you know, screening services for the length of time that it, you know, that that was the case and the impact of that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but I guess as Neva said, we were dealing with information that was coming to us. You know, there was projected numbers, but we were also dealing with the here and now and looking at the critical care capacity throughout the country. And I'm really only in a position to talk about what it was like working in the ICUs. I suppose what one thing going forward is we need to be prepared should something like this come again. Do we have the infrastructure in place? We need investment in critical care infrastructure. We need investment in healthcare workers. Well, do we, we have, we have that? Do, do, do we have that at the moment when you look at the ICU ward that you're on? Well, we have a sh- we have a shortage. We have a global shortage of critical care nurses. That's not new. That's not news to anybody, or maybe it is. Um, you know, trying to recruit people and retain staff, particularly after the COVID pandemic, is is particularly challenging. Um, and that's something that I think we have to be really mindful of looking into the future. Okay. So I do think there's an opportunity that comes from a tribunal in order to maybe put in place things for the future that might leave us in a better position going forward to deliver care should we need to go outside or into surge capacity in the future. And the other thing as well is, you, I mean, I would like to think there'd be some time frame put around you know, how long it should take to come to the findings or the recommendations of something like this or this COVID inquiry. Just on that, Kira, should it be held? Should there be a public element to it? Do you think? Um, I think definitely a public element. I don't know. I'm not privy to the to the facts really around the tribunal yet, but I'd like to think that there is a public element to it. I do think we have to hear the stories of Karen um, and the families and, well, and, and patients and everybody yeah. that was affected. Yeah. 
Yes, sure. Okay. But I also think we need to acknowledge the work that was done as well, um, you know, and, and I suppose the healthcare workers working in really difficult circumstances, you know, this, um, fearing for themselves and their patients. This uh, this texter here says, I'm a teacher and I, feel, um, and I feel schools should not have been locked down after the first time, but teachers should have been considered frontline workers for the first vaccinations. When I looked for one, I was told I wasn't frontline enough, despite teachers being the only uh, people working with 30 other people in, in a single room. Um, Kieran is with us on the line as well. Kieran, do you think... We handled it right. I think, Andrea, we did the best we could with the information we could. I don't believe, and please somebody contradict me, the world has ever witnessed anything like this. The unknown part of the virus, the consequences of the virus. What were people supposed to do except take recommendations? Of course we can look at the, uh, have a hearing to learn from it, Mm. but... If people continue to die, if people continue to, to get sick, imagine the outrage. Imagine the piece you'd be doing today on the radio. Yeah, no, it's a fair point. And while I am no fan of politicians at the moment, they did their best. They're not doctors. They're not specialists. So many sad stories. My own parents are in their 80s. Lockdown, isolating was difficult. My own kids, young young teenagers, did it increase their anxiety. I have to contemplate on that. But when have we ever witnessed something that spread across the world Mm -hmm. as quickly and has affected so many? It's never happened before and we need to be prepared for it. Yeah. Do you think that that the point's been made, though, by by Neve and and Karen and Kira? like, should there be a public element to this as well? I certainly think we should hear from the public and the difficulties that we struggle from. Everybody unfortunately had a had a, a personal challenge we all did depending on your career or your personal circumstances mm. and and we should learn from it because it's human behavior needs to be studied also so we can only benefit from hearing it but i don't think it should be a witch hunt i i think there should be a, mm. a, a distinction between how we manage this um any politician or anybody in effort who had to make a decision were going on information that they were fed mm-hmm. that was global and it had knock on effects commercially, emotionally, physically. And yes, let's learn from it. But yeah. I, I, I would be very sorry to hear if it became a witch hunt. Yeah, oh, well, I, I don't think that's the, by any means the purpose of it. I, I think from reading this morning, the terms of it, or the terms of reference, you know, in, in the proposed stage, it's um, the purpose isn't to find fault with anyone or to praise anybody, but more to look about how to plan for future responses to public yeah. health, health emergencies. Um Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Brought to you by Avant Money. Weekdays at midday on News Talk. Yeah, we're talking about um, this news today that the government is going to set up to establish um, an inquiry into the country's handling of the COVID situation by the end of the summer. And I've been asking you to get in touch today. How do you think we handled the COVID crisis? 1800 453 106, that's the number if you want to give us a shout. Grania's on the line. Grania, what's your view? Um, I just think it's even that in itself implies that like the pandemic is not an issue anymore or that it doesn't exist anymore like and we're still like there's so many people that are still suffering the consequences of covid or um post covid or long covid symptoms and i just think that i think money should be 
used sufficiently and services should be used and utilised to a better uh, point where we still have to deal with COVID and we're still not dealing with it in the best case scenario. Like people aren't wearing masks anymore. People are still suffering with long COVID. People are not being treated with long COVID. Like, as I say before, I've been on this many a time. I'm two plus years with... Uh, well, you're living with long COVID, COVID, long COVID That's right, yeah. And I, yeah, and I still haven't seen a, like a long COVID clinic. Do you know what I mean? And they're asking to do this report as if like everything's done, everything's been and gone and we're over it. But yeah. we're not. We're still, so many people are still in the depths of it. And I think saying to do this report, it even acknowledges that people are ignoring that we're still not through it. Like there's so many people still really struggling. Okay. So you, you know think I mean? it's too, it's, it's, you're not against the idea of sitting down and doing a bit of a report garden, how well we handled it, but you think it's too early to be doing it now? Yeah, I 100% do because like we're still not like dealing with the main issues right now. We're ignoring the fact that like the government is just throwing money at these supposed long COVID clinics. And not like for some, we've even heard that they've only treated three people in that month. You know, people are starting to have to join long Like I'm only recently joined a long COVID advocacy Ireland group and we're trying to do what the HSE is not doing. And that's trying to provide information for long COVID sufferers, trying to provide um, advice for people to try to seek as much and possible treatments if they can. Mm. People are having to pay out a fortune for, for private treatments and medicines that aren't even possibly working working because the public health care system is not working in that aspect. And how are you and doing at the moment yourself, Grania? With it. Like I'm out of work now, like and I'm on a social welfare benefit because I cannot go to back back to work yet because I'm still suffering with neurological neurological issues yeah. and I'm still suffering with physical issues. And like that again, there's still no treatments available for people. Like we this was only discussed in the doll there literally just this week and um Dennis Nocton like even pitched this towards Michael Martin and Michael Martin saying, Yes, so much money has gone towards this but we're not seeing that. We're not seeing the fruits of this whole money and this investment and nobody's being held accountable to see our people meeting the needs and what they're being paid to do. You know, you can't really anybody could really have called themselves a long COVID specialist. They didn't even need to have that much experience. What we need is people with post-viral experience. We need neurologists. We need, you know, immunologists. We need physical therapists. Mm. We need actual proper therapists. And, and like, Long COVID Ireland, our Advocacy Ireland are really pushing this to try and even create, a, a you know, a specific charity to try and, you know, give this people okay. advice and support. But HSE should have been doing this, how not ma- these groups. How many people roughly, Grania, would you say... Are, you know, are in the group or dealing with this day to day? Just from your own anecdotal, from from chatting to people, thousands, absolutely thousands. Like we, there was a report of like twenty one thousand now out of work, and I, and not even everybody is saying that they're they're sick because one, they're afraid they'll lose their job. Two, they're afraid to admit it themselves. And and three, a lot of people don't even realise that they are suffering as a consequence mm. of COVID. You know, so I don't okay. even think we even know the full percentage. So I think that we should be utilising our devices towards trying to find out and helping people that are actually still well, Push Put, put this on the, the, the long finger. Uh, Paul in Tipperary is texting to say the pandemic handled well. Give me a break. I think people are forgetting about the, the yeah, the Cheltenham debacle um, and all the Italians been let in for the sporting event. Absolutely ridiculous. We should have followed the New Zealand example, says Paul. This texter says the public is too broad a term. We were all in it together for the first 
first phase of COVID, but very quickly we ended up in a divide and conquer territory. Government and media pitted people against each other and we ended up elevating business voices to the same level of expertise as the health and science expert. Um, science experts. This texter on 53106 says the COVID restrictions in, in schools were completely unnecessary. The kids who didn't get sick had their education entirely disrupted and the fear-mongering has created an anxiety epidemic now amongst the young. Everybody in this country has had COVID at least once. Restrictions did not stop transmission at all. Uh, Orla's on the line as well. Orla, in, in talking about this COVID inquiry that's been set up, how do you think we handle things? Um, I disagree with the callers who agree that we, or who say that we handled it well. And I'm, I welcome an inquiry in this area because I think there's a lot of questions to be asked. And I think it's going to be quite a broad um, inquiry. My own particular interest would be that the voices of children and parents are heard because I think, um, as some of the texters have mentioned, some restrictions were brought in that affected kids um, quite a lot. And I just didn't see the basis for them at the time. Like, I understand people saying that in March 2020, we were really shooting in the dark with this. It was a, you know, once in a lifetime um, uh, pandemic and some decisions had to be made on the fly and in an emergency situation. But the masks were brought in in primary schools in December 2021. That was almost two years after um, COVID-19 entered the scene. And really by that point, there was a wealth of information about masking and an absolute absence for a basis to mask primary school children. In fact, the HICWA response, um, shortly before um, Tony Hogan brought in masks for children, strenuously said that masks absolutely should not be advised for primary school children and that we did not have enough evidence that they would be risk-free. And yes, they were brought in mm. in December 2021 okay. uh, so, after vaccination and after the numbers were falling down and after we knew that it was not going to be a problem for children. It was an unnecessary step, a prolonged um, two years of um, unnecessary adverse um, okay. Against the, another texter in um, says my my um, my wife had cancer for five years. She was treated exceptionally well in the hospital she was in. I was sent out of the hospital when COVID hit, and after all that, she was sent to a different hospital which had COVID in it. I spent twelve weeks without seeing my wife. At first, I could talk to her over the phone while she looked outside an upstairs window. There was no consistency in the treatment. I have not got. I have not got over. What's happened to my wife? She subsequently got COVID in in hospital care. My wife died. And the only time I got to her bedside was the last day of her life. I can't understand why she would be, why she would be taken from a COVID-free environment and put into an environment where there was COVID. She subsequently died from COVID-19 as well. Oh, well I'm terribly sorry to, to hear that from, from that texter. Um, there's a lot of stories like that coming in. And, you know, I think there really probably needs to be some kind of a public facing element to this. I know there'd be concerns about this and probably a lot of people, senior voices um, won't want the public facing element. But like, you know, in some respects, there's a little bit of an inquiry here today and just hearing people's stories and their voices and like people want to be heard. And, you know, it's it's hard, very hard to tell people who are so, so seriously impacted by this. And even in listening to Grania's story there, that, you know, possibly you, you can't, uh, you can't have a say in it. Claire's on the line. Claire, do you think we handle things well? 
Um, well, I suppose just in terms of um, like the I suppose unexpected events that it was, I, I think there was a lot of positives that maybe came out of it. Um, so while it was obviously very sad for people, I have to say I found the whole thing really life changing, just in terms of my whole way of life, my whole way of thinking, and your priorities, your children, your remote working. So I think I think there was maybe the silver lining was that there was a lot of positives from it as okay. well. Yeah, so it was. Yeah. A, it was. A, I don't want to say a positive experience for you, Claire, but you Maybe talk positive positive, from it. But even yeah. in terms of like um, the like like my child now goes to school in daylight. She has never has ne- had never done that. I'm able to collect my child from school because I can work from home. I now know what okay. my neighbours look like. <laughs> I can spend time with my child. I now know like so all that side of things. I think really helped yeah. all of that kind of. Stopping the rat race, reevaluating your life, going, okay, it's actually good to be at home. It's good to be with your children. It's good to know your neighbours. And from that side of things, I think it's really good. Like, I've no, I haven't even gone on a foreign holiday. I've absolutely no desire to leave Ireland because I just think from that side of things, slow down, reevaluate everything. And even the likes of all this materialism with the shops were closed, you don't need to buy all this stuff. And so I think it's changed all that side of things for me, anyway. Yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a very fair point. There was a, a time to kind of reevaluate the the level of importance that we put in things. Yeah, and I definitely think from a from a childcare point of view, like the working from home, um, even things like now you see lots of dads at the school gates now, and that maybe we wouldn't have seen before, and being able, to, like for, the, for your child to be able to be there to collect them mm. from school and all that, I think that was really. And even the remote working to take out all the commute and everything. I just think you can prove you can work from home and everybody is so much happier. Yeah. Yeah. No, look, it's a, it's a fair point and, and some text in actually on that as well. You're right. It's it's not the positives of the COVID lockdown, but I suppose if you want to call it the um, the positive things that we can perhaps t- take away from it. Um, yeah, look, I think there was some things we did did well. There were other things that we probably prolonged too long. But um, as Gavin in, in Cork says, will you ever forget the nine euro chicken wings? I think it sums up how the government handled COVID, according to to Gavin. Uh, This texter says, The hardest part of COVID for me was the people who moaned about the lockdown. It felt like the country was being dictated to by hairdressers and publican. Uh, And I include your own rant too in this, Andrea. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Brought to you by Avant Money. Weekdays at midday on News Talk.